Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, September 13th, 2011. Mm-mm-mm. All right, looking at the list. It's too big for one program. I, I will warn you ahead of time. Some of this is going to have to go into Thursday's edition. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there as a result of it. We do the comparative work. We try to have a little bit of fun along the way. And, uh, yeah, it's just crazy stuff out there. Now, um, kind of starting off today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, I'm looking at my list going, yes, yes, no, no, yes, no. Um, there's one thing uh, that there's kind of like one bit of um, uh, unfinished business, if you would, uh, regarding my uh, my trip to Elk River. And, uh, and, and, and here it is. And, and let me kind of set it up this way. Being as, well, that I'm a pirate, uh, you know, I am the captain of Pirate Christian Radio. There are certain things that um, we pirate captains, well, we have authority to do that, well, just normal folk don't. And uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I've been thinking through this, and uh, I've decided to do something out of just purely the goodness of my heart. Because I, I'm, a, I'm such a gospel-focused guy that I've decided to do something, uh, well, for you, our listeners, and you can pass this along to people, too. Um, but I'm going to be invoking my authority as a pirate captain uh, to uh, to do something that, uh, well, something that Eric and Kelly Dykstra wouldn't be willing to do for you for free. I'm willing to do it for free, though. And uh, and here it is. Uh, well, let me explain it this way. Um, pirate captains know a lot about curses. You know, in fact, pirates constantly talk about curses. You know, there be a curse on the treasure. Now, here's the deal. If you're if you are if your finances if your treasure is suffering from a curse, um, um, oddly enough, I actually as a pirate captain have the authority to um, to remove curses from treasures. It's just a weird thing that we pirate captains uh, have the authority to do. And so what I'm going to be doing is uh, with the, the podcast that goes out with today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, I will actually be printing uh, creating a certificate PDF. 
And I assure you that my hands were all over the PDF before uh, we upload the podcast. And and that uh, my signature there is absolutely valid. And so he, here's the idea. Um, um, yeah, Eric and Kelly Dykstra and Robert Morris and guys like Perry Noble and and Craig Rochelle and others, they, they, they're teaching that your, your, your finances are, are cursed and, until you lift the curse. And, uh, it, you know, and it's and the only option they've given you for lifting that curse is for you to give 10 percent of the gross of your money, the very, very first 10 percent to their particular congregations. Uh, what they see, here's the deal is that they didn't tell you that there's other ways to break that curse, you know, because pirates can break curses on treasure. And since money is treasure, well, um, so here's the deal. So purely out of the goodness of my heart and completely for free. Um, I am declaring anybody who's listening to this edition of Fighting for the Faith. I'm declaring that your finances, um, that uh, that they are now officially uncursed. And uh, and if you need some kind of proof that this is the case, uh, you can download and print out the PDF that uh, we're going to make available with today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, uh, which will uh, you know again explain in very clear detail that uh, by right of the fact that uh, I am a pirate captain and uh, captains have pirate captains have the ability to remove curses from treasure, that uh, I therefore purely out of the goodness of my heart, totally for free, do not send me a tithe to uh, to have the cursed removed off of your uh, treasure. Otherwise, I, I just might recurse it because you're, I, I don't want you to pay for this gift. I, I This is just purely out of the goodness and gospel focus of my heart. And so, therefore, uh, I, I declare all your treasure to be uncursed. So there there you go. That That's just a public service that I'm offering here for you, the listeners of Fighting for the Faith. And so, um, and, uh, you know, Eric and Kelly Dykstra, they, they'll, they'll charge you a 10% uh, fee for uh, uh, curse removal services from your treasure. We do it completely for free. And so if you know anybody who goes to the Crossing Church or to uh, New Spring Church or to Robert Morris's church down there in Texas or to uh, Craig Rochelle's uh, church in Oklahoma, where these are places where Robert Morris has preached and that they believe this idea, um, to, please print the certificate out and let them know that from this day forward, and, and by the way, this will last until you die. This curse removal is so powerful. It's so potent, and it's so amazing that um, because you know, it's again, it's just one of the things that we pirate captains have the ability to do. Um, and you can't you can't overturn it once once we remove the curse, it just doesn't come back. And so I'm declaring all of your finances from this day forward until you die. And, and in fact, you can even pass this along if you want to you know if you if you want to keep this edition of Fighting for the Faith and have your grandchildren and your children listen to it uh, in perpetuity for for generations to come. If you need a free curse removal. Um, just he- literally, just hearing the sound of my voice will remove the curse because that's how po- potent and powerful it is. So there you go. I just, um, yeah, it's just free service that we are offering here at Fighting for the Faith. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not kidding about the fact that we will be printing out a, uh, we, we will be making a certificate available for you. So you know, again, it, it's just purely out of the kindness of my heart. So I don't know why people charge for those uh, curse removal things. Um, yes, I mean. Which, by the way, um, was the you know what this is? This is kind of an exercise, a little bit, in uh, one of the arguments that was used by the reformers against uh, the papists during the time of the Reformation, uh, especially in regard to purgatory. 
uh, here was the basic idea is that if the uh, if the pope had the power just simply to write out to you know to grant a paper certificate with the papal's uh, you know stamp of approval on it his imprimatur uh, you know emblazoned on it the papal symbol and uh, and that in, in such a way that he could spring a dead relative out of purgatory for a you know for a nominal fee of course um, that uh, the, the question of the reformers was if, if the if he truly has this power then why 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 is he not exercising it to release everybody from purgatory immediately uh, i mean you know why you know why, just out of the kindness and goodness of his heart you know so <clears throat> see i'm going to do what the pope is not willing to do i'm going to do what these secret driven guys are not willing to do i'm just going to remove the curse uh, because I'm a pirate captain, we can remove curses from treasure. Look it up. Um, and so I'm removing all all cursed treasure, uh, or treasure, uh, all your finances, uncursed, completely clean. So there you go. All right. I, you know, I feel much better, by the way, after doing that. Um, you know, this is one of those things that, you know, I, I didn't really have to debate long and hard because the way I look at it is, is that since Christ Jesus died for my sins and has canceled my debt and lifted me and li- literally lifted me out from under the curse that stood against me in God's law that always is condemning me and by becoming a curse for us. I mean, the least that I can do, the least that I can do for my listeners would be to, um, you know, to remove the, the curse that exists on your treasure and, and to do so just for free. So there you go. All right. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of fighting for the faith. I have a Cindy Jacobs, <laughs> An uh, update and uh, talking about curses. Apparently, you remember that um, <clears throat> so-called religious event and all those crazy, whacked-out um, heretics who got together for that thing called the response uh, that uh, the governor of Texas uh, put together. Well, apparently, Cindy Jacobs is is convinced that um, that that event itself uh, broke the curse of Native American cannibals. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not making that up. Um, and then, let's see here, I'm kind of looking at my time. And then I want to spend a little bit of time talking about, well, communion. Um, uh, Rob Bell's church uh, over the uh, weekend, by the way, you know, cause, you know, cause what, Sunday was 9-11 Sunday. And, uh, you know, it's t- the 10-year, you know, remembrance of uh, the attack on the World Trade Center in New York City. And um, and so Rob Bell, true to his emergent uh, way of looking at things, uh, there were Muslims in the audience there at Rob Bell's church. And uh, Shane Hips sent out a tweet. Uh, tweet uh, Shane Hips is his co-pastor. And uh, that uh, some of the folks there at Mars Hill Bible Church in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, had invited the Muslims um, to the table to partake with uh, of communion uh, with them, and so we're going to talk about that. I've got a news story about um, the uh, about potential church. That's uh, Troy Gramling's uh, church down there in uh, Florida, and uh, well, potential church is uh, has just this past Sunday launched into a sermon series entitled W and if we think with W yeah we'll see it, it it's actually a, a a sermon series that is loosely uh, based um themed around um the 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 wizard of oz and so we're going to be taking a look at a story re- regarding that and then i'm going to read a, a new story from the uh, christian post f- uh, regarding um uh, 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 perry noble 
And uh, he recently uh, did a, a blistering job of uh, preaching the law at uh, New Spring and let the, some of the folks there have it regarding sexual sin. And uh, I, and so I, when I play, when I read this particular um, uh, news story, I'm not going to play the normal Perry Noble update. And here's the reason why: because he got it half right. He got it half right, but he's the, he missed the salt. And so, yeah, we'll talk about what I mean by that. And uh, and then in hour number two, uh, where you will for sure be actually reviewing the um, sermon that Troy Gramling preached down there at Potential Church. By the way, Potential Church, that means that they're not really a church yet. Um, they're just a church in Potentia. So, um, and uh, after hearing this sermon that we're going to be reviewing in hour number two today, uh, you know, this Wizard of Oz-themed sermon, um, unfortunately, uh, it's um, this is... Going to set them back, and what I mean by that is that since they're only a potential church, not really a church yet, um, they were hoping to graduate to full blown church status. But um, as a result of this sermon, I'm I'm going to have to throw a red flag and blow a whistle and basically say, yeah, I'm I'm sorry, but um, the, whatever date you had set for graduating to a real church from a potential church, uh, we're going to have to we're going to have to move that date back now. We, there's some work that needs to be done, so. Yeah, that's you know that. So that's what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. And uh, with that, we're going to dive into the program uh, proper. Yeah, here we go. Chief, mate, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. I, I think that uh, Cindy Jacobs would be the insane one. All right, that can mean we only have one thing. We're going to be doing a Dominionist update, and uh, Cindy Jacobs is kind of like the queen of Dominionism. Uh, this is from her television program entitled God Knows. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. God Only Knows. Um, see, see if you can make heads or tails of any of this. Here, here we go. So you go and so you study the area and you find out what happened. What did the indigenous people worship? You know, and now she's telling us the the practical steps to lifting curses off of uh, particular pieces of geographical property. And and what this requires you to do is to spend some time uh, doing some history on the indigenous folk who were who were living on your property prior to you moving in. Okay. And and you know if they did blood sacrifice, like we found some areas that are very very violent because the former culture was a murderous, violent area, like in Texas here and all the coast around Houston and Galveston and some of that area. The Native American people were cannibals. Uh-huh. You know, and they ate people. And so. Isn't that what a cannibal does? Um, 
Yes, cannibals eat people. Uh, really, there were there were cannibal tribes down in uh, in Texas. Um, I now I don't know much about Native American history. I just I can't say that I know much about it at all. Um, I couldn't tell you the difference between a Pawnee, a Shawnee, um, uh, a Cherokee, or any. I I just don't. I mean, the the extent of my understanding of Native American uh, is like you know the movie Dances with Wolves. Yeah, I could say Tatanka. Um, but um, yeah. Um, that being the case, um, I'm. Just um, it was never brought to my attention that the uh, the Native American tribes that lived in Texas were cannibals. Didn't know that. Um, I just wondering if that's really actually true. Okay, okay, so okay, so so here's the deal. This is practical advice she's giving here, and you know, if you want to lift the curses that are on your property, you know, you've you've got to you've got to do the research and find out who live who be living there before you and. Uh, whether or not there were blood sacrifices, blood curses, and cannibalism going on uh, in your neck of the woods, because uh, you know you, you've got to take authority over these things, you know. You could see a manifestation of that in the churches, where people turned against people and kind of cannibalized other people's ministries, and so. The- <laughs> she didn't just do that, did she? <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> we went from people eating people to people cannibalizing other people's ministries. Yeah, there's a difference there. Um, yeah, it, the, the 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 definition of the word cannibal switched there and literally mid sentence. Yeah, let's continue. There's been a lot of prayer over that in Houston, Texas. They've done a lot of intercession over that and broke the curses on the land. And we just had a prayer meeting in Houston a little week ago. Got- you see, there she goes. She's breaking the curses you know, over the land of Texas, uh, you know, because of the cannibal uh, blood sacrifices and and people who were cannibalizing other people's ministries. I mean, yeah, you got to break those curses. And by the way, I know about things like that because I'm a pirate captain. But um, Governor of Texas. And, you know, really as an individual instigated this, 35,000 people showed up to pray with it. And there was only a prayer meeting called within three months, you uh-huh. know, three months period of time. So what happened? The land is starting to rejoice. Yeah. You see- really? Really? Uh, Governor Rick Perry's r- the response um, broke the curses of Native American cannibals in Texas and now the land is starting to rejoice down there in Texas. Uh, those of you who uh, listen to the program and are living in Texas, um, do you see any signs that your land is rejoicing? I mean, can you can you send me photographs of what it looks like for the the land of Texas? Now that they've been those Native American cannibal curses have been uh, surreptitiously broken by um, um, the response down there. Mitchell instigated this. Thirty five thousand people showed up to pray. With, and there was only a prayer meeting called within three months, you know, uh-huh. three months period of time. So what happened? The land is starting to rejoice, yeah. you see, because of that prayer. Oh, man, I just, <laughs> you just wonder sometimes. Uh, you just have to wonder sometimes. Um, it's just, how how does anybody think that Cindy Jacobs is any kind of accurate Christian Bible teacher of of any reputable stripe? How, how is it that the church has been, well, taken over by the silliness? I mean, 
I I don't get it. Moving along. Yep, we're doing a Rob Bell update. How many special people change? How many lives are living strange? Where were you while we were getting high? Slowly walking down the hall. Faster than a cannonball Where were you while we were getting high? Someday you will find me Caught beneath the landslide In a champagne supernova in the sky Someday you will find me I have no idea what those lyrics mean. I, that's why I picked them to uh, be our Rob, Del, uh, Rob Bell update music. Anyway, uh, so uh, Champagne Supernova by the uh, band Oasis. Um, I, partic- I like their early stuff. I don't know about their later. But anyway, um, so so here's the deal. A little bit of a brouhaha. And uh, and if you don't think it involves Rob Bell, well, you'd be, uh, you be mistaken. Uh, it does involve Rob Bell, and and he, here be the reason why. Because he was the one who was preaching, and he was the one presiding over the table. Now, here's what happened on uh, Sunday afternoon. Shane Hips, uh, co-pastor with Rob Bell, uh, uh, the, the the guy whom Rob Bell says brings the thunder. That's how he describes Shane Hips. Uh, Shane Hips um, sent out a tweet. The tweet read as such. Watched members of at Mars Hill Org invite a Muslim woman to the communion table today. You all amaze me. Hashtag Big Jesus. Now I just got a question for. Yeah, now I understand that. Uh, yeah, there was big 9/11 remembrances that took places in many churches. Thankfully, um, my church just remembered it by praying for the nation rather than focusing on the event itself. We had kind of more important things to do, kingdom business, if you would, you know, word and sacrament. Um, so, I, I, you know, it's not like we didn't recognize it in our prayers. We did. We lifted up the nation during our prayers as we remembered 9-11. But, uh, yeah, as far as anything else was concerned, yeah, nothing. Uh, which I think is the right way to do it in church because uh, we're, we're the churches are embassies of the kingdom of God, which means um, think of it this way: um, the, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, I think it's Second Corinthians chapter five, talks about the fact that we are ambassadors of Christ. So when the church gathers together, uh, the the ecclesia, those who are called out, when they gather together to hear God's word and to uh, uh, to partake in the Lord's Supper, uh, the Eucharist, uh, if you would. Um, then uh, the idea is this, is that when we come together, um, ch- uh, the, the, the building that we're in is, is an embassy of the kingdom of God. Now, if you were to travel to Washington, D.C., for instance, and go to uh, Embassy Row, 
Um, you know, or you, you go on one of those bus tours, you know, where you sit on the roof of the bus and then you, you know, you go down to Georgetown and, and you can see, you know, the, you know, the National Cathedral and all the different monuments and things like that. And when they take you down Embassy Row, it, it's important to keep this in mind. If you were to go to the British consulate in the United States and at, in Washington, D.C., as soon as you got onto their property and you had, you know, passed security and, and gotten into the building, you are no longer in the United States. You are actually on British soil. You're on British in British territory. Uh, that's the idea. So when you, when we come together as the church, uh, by virtue of the fact that we are all ambassadors of the kingdom of God, our church then is an embassy. And when you cross the threshold of uh, of the church, you are no longer well in the United States of America. You're not in. Uh, you're not wherever you are. You're not in Britain. Your your church is an embassy of the kingdom of God. This is kingdom territory, and kingdom business takes place there. That being the case, um. Yeah, I, I'm not really big into uh, big patriotic hoorah things because when I'm at church, I, I'm not there to be a citizen of the United States. I'm there as a citizen of the kingdom of God. You get what I'm saying there? Anyway, so which kind of leads to this issue here. Uh, let me read that tweet again. Shane Hepps, co-pastor with Rob Bell, writes, Watched members of At Mars Hill, Oregon, invite a Muslim woman to the communion table today. You all amaze me. Hashtag Big Jesus. Now, why on earth would he think that's a Big Jesus? Why? Why didn't he hashtag it as False Jesus? Because uh, if I mean, if I were hashtagging that particular tweet, I would definitely put down False Jesus. Why? Uh, because uh, a Muslim woman is an idolater. Uh, she is not. Uh, she is not uh, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. She is in rebellion to uh, Christ and his word and has not been brought to repentance and the forgiveness of, their, of her sins uh, by what Christ has done on the cross. She is in flat-out uh, seething rebellion against God and his word and, uh, the, you know, and, uh, and what Christ has done and believes a false, in a false God. A, I don't even know if Muslims have a gospel. But here, Shane Hips, who's supposed to be a Christian pastor, uh, who's co-pastor with Rob Bell, out there at uh, Mars Hill Bible Churches is thinking that this is such a great thing. Um, so, uh, you know, by the way, the woman didn't uh, actually take communion because other people um, um, <laughs> asked him questions immediately. Uh, somebody asked him, you know, if, if uh, uh, what what the deal with that was, and he tweeted back, "Well, for clarification." We practice an open table. Anyone wanting grace is welcome. Apparently, an unrepentant Muslim is uh, welcome to have the Lord's Supper there. Um, so uh, then he sent out a clarification. To clarify, the Muslim woman didn't actually take communion. Even so, taking it would violate uh, her theology more than mine. Open table here. So, I mean, I mean this... Uh, <laughs> This takes the concept of, quote, open communion versus closed communion to a whole nother level. And, uh, you know, that's one of the raging debates in Christendom. And uh, this idea that apparently uh, you can have an open table so open that unrepentant uh, idolaters who uh, are part of a different religion are welcome to um, have communion, which basically, again, I'm going to ask the question, where did he get this idea that uh, if the Muslim woman had partaken of communion there, that you know that that grace was being offered to her as an unrepentant Muslim. 
And uh, so I sent out a series of tweets yesterday and, and, and Facebook status updates, you know, kind of grinding on this a little bit. It's like, listen, okay, here's the deal. The faith was once for all delivered to the saints 2000 years ago. Um, once for all delivered to the saints. Um, uh, long before I was born, long before Rob Bell was born, long before Shane Hips was born, um, as a result of it, you and me and Shane Hips and Rob Bell, we don't get to add our two cents to the faith once delivered to the saints. Either believe it, proclaim it, confess it, and, and, and teach it, and pass it along, or you reject it. But you don't get to, you don't get to edit it. And uh, this is a form of editing that's going on here uh, to, you know, to offer communion to an unrepentant Muslim. I mean, th- that's not big Jesus. That's false Jesus. That's, that's the Jesus of the, inv- that's the inventin- invention of uh, the folks there at Mars Hill Bible Church. Now, I'm going to read a couple of um, passages just to clarify some things here. And then I'm going to prove to you that Rob Bell is not innocent in this crime that uh, was uh, to be, well, that almost was perpetrated. But, I mean, it's, it's a crime nonetheless because it was extended to her. Um, and, and, and what I mean by that is, is that Rob Bell was presiding, okay? Uh, but let me read some passages here to kind of make my point. Uh, listen, I didn't invent the Lord's Supper. It's not my thing. I didn't invent it. It's not something I created. It's not what it's not like 2000 years ago I was sitting out there on the Mount of Olives overlooking the temple and going, you know, Christians really need something to kind of unite them together. Um I know. I'll I'll come up with a thing called the Lord's Supper. Um yeah, no, I didn't invent it. It was invented by Christ. He's the one who instituted it. And and his apostle, Paul, uh, actually, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said some things about it that I think are, uh, well, how should we say, uh, relevant to the conversation at the moment. Um, so if you have your Bible, flip on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to start at verse 14. It says this, Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. In, my first, <laughs> in talking about... Um, the communion, what the Bible says about communion, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, gives us this first thing. Flee idolatry. That would include Islam. Islam is, is an idolatrous, false religion. So you need to flee from it. Uh, did, did this Muslim woman at Mars Hill, was she fleeing from idolatry? Uh, that's a question that uh, immediately comes to mind. Paul continues. He says, I speak as uh, to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing, this would be the Lord's Supper, that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a, partic- a participation in the body of Christ? Yes, it is. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Got it? So here's the idea, is, is that when we come together uh, you know, in communion, get it? Um, and we all partake of the bread and the wine together. Uh, it's it's it, we're all one. Okay, but uh, you can't be uh, Christians can't be one in communion with an unrepentant Muslim. That because the, the the verse verse says to flee idolatry. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. Paul then explains. He says, consider the people of Israel are. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Yes, they are. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? Because the context here is, is food sacrificed to idols. Well, no, I'm implying that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons, not to God. 
I do not want you to be participants with demons. Yeah, uh, so, uh, yeah, in Paul, in writing against uh, this idea of eating food sacrificed to idols, points out the fact that what the folks back then were offering to, you know, Apollo and Zeus and the other uh, gods in the uh, Greco-Roman pantheon, they were offering them to demons. Same thing applies here um, with the Muslim woman. So, uh, yeah, we don't have any communion with a Muslim woman at all, unless, of course, she's been brought to repentance and the forgiveness of her sins. Um, so then we fast forward just a chapter here, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. Um, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is, uh, it is not for the better, but it's for the worse. Uh, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. I believe it in part, for that there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, uh, one goes ahead this uh, uh, with his own meal, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For what I received from the Lord, uh, uh, what I received from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. So whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Yeah, again, if you eat the, uh, if you have communion in an unworthy manner, you'll be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So uh, so maybe what uh, Rob Bell and uh, the folks there at Mars Hill Bible Church were engaging in uh, in uh, communion terrorism, maybe, maybe they wanted that Muslim woman to have the Lord's Supper in order for her to drink judgment on herself. Maybe, you know, it just makes me wonder, but... Uh, Shane Hips was talking about the fact that um, that was all about being uh, a big Jesus. It was actually about false Jesus, not big Jesus. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But um, I'd like for you to hear a little bit, though, from this uh, the, the service that this took place in. Here's Rob Bell uh, spending a little time talking about communing. Here we go. Next, let's go back to this identity. Is there anybody here today who needs to hear good news? Is there anybody today who you have been beating yourself up? You've been dragging your past around you everywhere you have gone. Is there anybody here today who you struggle with temptations, addictions, destructive patterns of behavior, and it owns you and it dominates you, and you have an unbelievably crushed, suppressed sense of who you are? The gospel announcement is that in Christ you are a new creation, and you are not that. You are somebody new. And the, that's good news, by the way. And so sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we, we limp to the table. Sometimes we crawl to the bread in the cup because we're so beaten down and we're so exhausted and our heads are so filled with negative messages 
about who we are and what we've done and how we are convinced we're going to mess it up in the future. Sometimes we just need to be carried to the table. And as we take the bread and dip it in the cup, we do this to remind ourselves of who we truly are. What? Uh, Hang on a second here. I just want to check the Bible verse again. Um, all right, First Corinthians chapter 11. Um, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, got it, which is for you. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. That would be in remembrance of Jesus. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This is cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That would be Jesus. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, backing up the audio here. Um, I'm not hearing this from Rob Bell. I'm hearing something foreign, something that doesn't belong. Hang on. What we've done and how we are convinced we're going to mess it up in the future. Sometimes we just need to be carried to the table. And as we take the bread and dip it in the cup, we do this to remind ourselves of who we truly are. Uh, yeah, uh, that would be a you-focused Eucharist. Uh, that would be the Y-O-U uh, Eucharist. <laughs> that's the Eucharist. Yeah, that's not the Eucharist, the, the traditional spelling. That's the Y-O-U Eucharist. <sighs> Well, I mean, this ain't really the Lord's Supper. I don't understand why that woman didn't feel like she could have taken it. It's not really, it's not actually, well. Sometimes taking the Eucharist is simply an act that you do to remind yourself of who you truly are in spite of how you feel. Remind yourself of who you truly are. Again, let me read the words of our Lord. These are red letters. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Me, that would be Jesus speaking. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Yeah, not you, but me and Jesus. Hmm. S- strange. Uh, hearing somebody who is supposed to be like the next Billy Graham, you know. Um, that's how uh, Rob Bell's been portrayed to the church. I mean, he, this rock star of a Christian pastor um, is... is uh, basically focusing you on you uh, during the Lord's Supper. Hmm. Yeah, that is... Uh, you're looking the wrong way there, Rob. Feel how you think or the messages you've been sent by others. Is there anybody today who you you need to limp down, you need to crawl down, you need someone to help you down to the table? That's okay, that's what it's... Yeah, you need to limp down so that you can you can take the you, Y-O-U, Chris. It's all about you. Four. It's been good news. There's nothing good news-ish about that. I mean, that doesn't remotely even sound like the gospel. Whereas, you know, Jesus, you know, in the words of institution, as they've been come to, they've come to be known there in First Corinthians chapter eleven, um, that really does actually uh, that's all gospel. Because what? How does Paul define the gospel? First Corinthians chapter fifteen. For what I first importance, what I delivered to you, that Christ was crucified for our sins and that he was raised again on the third day. So uh, crucified for our sins, that's a key piece of the gospel. Christ died for us. And Jesus, there in the words of institution, says, this is my body broken for you. 
for the forgiveness of your sins. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. Yeah, see, there's all kinds of gospel stuff going on in the in the uh, Lord's Supper, and uh, Rob Bell has apparently chucked all that stu- all that gospel, real gospel stuff out, and turned you into the gospel. Okay, oh, well, that's just blasphemy. It's been strength. It's been sustenance for millions of people for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So perhaps that's you today. It is coming to the table to be reminded of who you are. Your idea. Yeah, there we go again. Coming to the table reminds you of who you are. This is flat out blasphemy. So there you go. I mean, so th- by the way, that's from this past Sunday. This is the Sunday where the Muslim woman was you know, offered to come to the communion table there. Apparently, she didn't feel good about uh, celebrating herself in the Lord's Supper. She had more. Th- it's weird that the Muslim woman has more theological sense than um, Rob Bell or Shane Hips. All right. Uh, we're up on our first break. If you would like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to the Emergence Sports Network here on Pirate Christian Radio. You've tuned in just in time to catch today's Emergence Ball match between the Pomo Bombers and the Majestic Mystics. Today's match is proudly brought to you by Rex Quando's Bible Pants. There's the buzzer, and they're off. McLaren dribbles a pigskin down to first base, takes out his putter, and... Whoa! Jones checks McLaren against the boards, and then passes to Padgett in left field. But wait! Bulls Weber is charging from the 10-yard line, and she slam-dunks from the foul line! That's a birdie! The crowd is going wild! When was the last time you saw something like that? I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Okay, play is resuming. There's Rollins. He serves to Bell. Bell snatches the snitch. And then Hail Mary passes to McLaren. McLaren is in the end zone. Oh, and he slaps it back to third base. Tickle grabs her wicket and then punts one out into center court. It looks like Jones and Padgett are double-teaming Bowles Weber. He doesn't have a shot, so she slices one off into the rough. McLaren is there to make the safety, but Padgett grabs McLaren's face mask and then throws down to second base. What a brilliant save that was. Jones takes out his driver, then sends one out to midfield. 
Tickle headbutts the ball and then sends it back to McLaren. He vaults over the pummel horse. Oh, and he sticks the landing! Unfortunately, the degree of difficulty wasn't that high, but McLaren racked up seven brownie points. Tickle sets up for the kickoff. But wait, Jones is trying to steal third base. Tickle slap shots the ball back to Bulls Weber, but Jones is safe. He's safe. That means it's going to be third down with 44 meters to the pin. Looks like this match is going to go into sudden death. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. I'm just waxing along today. Warning, if, you're, if your treasure, your finances are cursed, you know, don't pay 10% of your, of your money to uncurse it. I've, I've done it for free for you. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring... Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you will automatically, you're automatically signing up to contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can make a one-time contribution by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, here we go. benefit of Mr. Kite there will be a show tonight on trampoline Hillsborough, <laughs> what are you doing? Now, here's the deal. If uh, if this sounds like it's uh, an advertisement for your church, the Hendersons will dance and sing as Mr. Kite flies through the ring. Don't be late. Yeah, you don't want to go there. sure the public production will be second to none. I 
Yeah, there, there you go. Um, so, it, <clears throat> yeah, so th- that's just some practical advice there. Free advice uh, as well. Uh, yeah, if that, if that, if that song, uh, uh, being for the benefit of Mister Kite uh, by the Beatles, sounds like it's advertising your church. You don't want to go there. Um, yeah, you need to go to a church that's actually going to properly handle God's word. And not waste all of your time entertaining you. Instead, get to kingdom business. Remember, your church is an embassy. It's an embassy of the kingdom of God. You, you can you can be entertained at home and with your big screen television, your HD system, and all that kind of. Yeah, you, we don't need that at church. We got kingdom business to do there. Uh, which kind of leads to uh, this story that uh, from the Christian Post. The headline reads, Wizard of Oz-themed sermon series to be preached at Florida Megachurch. And um, as you're going to find out in hour number two, um, the Wizard of Oz theme gets in the way, like totally distracts from and actually inhibits the correct preaching and teaching of God's Word. But this was written by Jeff Shapiro, and and Jeff, I'm sure, you know, got the uh, uh, the press release that the folks down there at Potential Church sent out. And, and, and like a, you know, like a good reporter, you know, and just asked a couple of questions and put it up. Because, I mean, this is a cutting edge story. Um, but, you know, which would be weird. Uh, um, I, I, I'm challenging um, Jeff Shapiro of the um, Christian Post to write a follow up story uh, and uh, check with uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. And uh, and and here's what I'm basically saying is is that I, I we need to send out a, a press release for Pastor Charmley, letting everybody know that this Sunday Pastor Charmley will be preaching without the assistance of any theatrics, without any monkeys, without any circus acts, without any Broadway musicals, or even the help of Hollywood or a movie. And uh, I know I know a lot of people just don't think it can be done, but. Uh, I wonder if we sent out a press release if Jeff Shapiro from the uh, Christian Post would be willing to uh, run that story. I mean, cause, I mean, everybody would be absolutely uh, like, if it, it just absolutely shocked that anybody would even attempt such a difficult feat. But <clears throat> let me read the story. Many pastors have used examples from pol- uh, pop culture in as sermon il- illustrations, but Pastor Troy Grambling is taking it to an all-new level with a Wizard of Oz-themed series of sermons which he will present throughout the month of September at Potential Church in Florida. W, as the series is being called, is a sort of simplified hybrid title for fans of both The Wizard of Oz and Wicked. So it, 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 it's got like the, yeah, anyways, it's got the green Wicked W, but it's, anyway... Um, okay, uh, and the series will feature everything from the uh, from the serious to the silly. I mean, it was, uh, why on earth would I want to go to a sermon series that um, um, isn't f- number one focusing on Christ and His Word? Why? I mean, if I wanted to go see Wicked, I can go see it. If I want to, if I want to watch The Wizard of Oz, it's in my DVD library. Um, you know, I don't go to church to be entertained Broadway style or to reminisce down memory lane with the uh, the Wizard of Oz. I go to church to be fed God's word and the Lord's Supper by my pastor. We got kingdom business. We got to be getting to kingdom business. You get, 
Anyway, on one hand, uh, uh, Grambling will be tackling many important spiritual, emotional, and relationship issues. Oh, that's so brave. Examining characters in both the famous film and play as the starting point for helping his congregation to really examine themselves. On the other hand, worship services will include some fun theatrics, including a musical performance of Kanye West's hit single, Heartless, uh, by the Tin Man. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's... Again, you've only got so many hours in a day, and you're going you're gonna to waste the hour or hour and a half you got at church not reading God's Word and not being taught it. I mean... You, Again, I, I, if I wanted to hear Kanye's West's hit single, Heartless, um, I can go to the iTunes music store and download it and listen to it on my iPod. Uh, anyway, um, Heredes uh, Ribeiro, the creative pastor at Potential Church, has told the Christian Post on Wednesday that everyone has, at some point in their lives, probably been able to relate to one of the characters that will be discussed in the W series. Um how about it, can I can I relate to one of the characters in the Bible for real? Uh, anyway, our pastor Troy Gramling has always looked for ways to present the good news of the gospel in ways that are both inviting to our community but also memorable for our potential church members. Yeah, he left an important piece out though. Um, let me read that sentence again. Um, this is from the uh, creative pastor at Potential Church. They're not really a church yet though; they're only a church in Potentia. Um, he says, our pastor, Troy Gramling, has always looked for ways to present the good news of the gospel in ways that are both inviting to the community, but also memorable for our potential church members. He left an important uh, feature out there, and that would be accurate and correct and faithful. Um, because as you're going to hear as we re review the sermon, um, the, uh, the theme, the Wizard of Oz theme because he tries to basically let it govern the sermon, ends up destroying a clear and accurate uh, proclamation of the gospel. And, and what we're left with is something that isn't the biblical gospel. In fact, actually, uh, it, it crosses the line into probably a false gospel. But anyway, in preparation for the W series, the church facility has undergone dramatic visual changes in order to get members and, and visitors excited about the series. Cars in the parking lot have giant W's on them, and some things... Within the church, the bathrooms, the lights, even the coffee creamer that they use have been colored green. The church has good reason to work so hard to change the scenery, too, Ribeiro says, that this weekend is typically the potential church's third highest attendance weekend of the year. This would be the fall kickoff. Uh, they only do major scenery changes three times a year, Christmas and Easter, and their fall ministry kickoff, which is the upcoming weekend. By the way, now that the fall kickoff has occurred at all the seeker-driven churches, we are now officially, I just want to let you all know that we are officially in heresy season. Um, some seriously bad heresies are going to be blowing our way. And, uh, you know, and it's always the fall kickoff that, uh, that launches the uh, heresy season. Anyway, since Grambling took over as lead pastor of Potential Church, its campus attendance has grown from 2,000 to over 13,000 people per weekend. Well, of course, because he's uh, scratching, itching ears. He's not preaching biblical truth correctly. Anyway, the church currently has several campuses in Florida, in the cities of Miami, Pensacola, Cooper City, and Hallandale Beach. It has one campus in Lima, Peru. Poor folks over there in Lima being fed false uh, doctrine. And its services can also be viewed online. In the series entitled W, we will journey down the yellow brick road with the lion, the scarecrow, and the tin man 
to discover relationships filled with courage, romance, and passion. Grambling says, sometimes what we're looking for is closer than what we realize, than what we realize. Eh, yeah. Um, mm, yeah. Ha, ha, what gets lost in all of that? Christ, him and crucified for our sins, the gospel. I mean, I'm sure it'll be entertaining. I'm sure, I'm, you know, I've seen the set. It's visually, I mean, it, it's pretty well done. I mean, great, you know, great job. By the way, uh, those of you uh, who uh, would like to attend, uh, if it's your first time attending there, uh, if you would, you show up, you actually get a free um, a free gift from the uh, folks there at Potential Church. Here, here, here's Joel Osteen to explain. Hi, I'm Joel Osteen, and this is my good friend Troy Grambling. He and his wife Stephanie pastor a great church, Potential Church. I hope you'll stop by and visit whenever you can. They're going to be giving away a free copy of my new book. To any first-time visitor, I know you'll be blessed and inspired. We're going to have a great time. Go to our website, PotentialChurch.com. You can get all the times and all the directions. Can't wait to see you there. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about wicked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Show up at Potential Church and you'll get the the latest and greatest heretical bestseller from Joel Osteen. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, isn't that great? That's right. In the Series W, we will journey down the yellow brick road with the lion, the scarecrow, and the tin man to discover relationships filled with courage, romance, and passion. That's right. Sometimes what we're looking for is closer than what we realize. And if you show up, there will also be theatrics and some fun, including a musical performance by Kanye West's hit single, Heartless, by the Tin Man. The series itself will feature everything from the serious to the silly. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so on my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. When we come back, we're going to be reviewing this first sermon in the W series that we just talked about here. Stay tuned. Don't go away. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian 
Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Apparently, we're going to the theater. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Potential Church in Cooper City, Florida. They're not really a church yet. They're just a church in Potentia. This is from their Wizard of Oz-themed sermon series entitled W. Troy Gramling presiding. I wonder if he'll become a pastor when Potential Church becomes a real church. So the thing to listen for as we listen to this sermon is notice how the theatrical theme of the Wizard of Oz absolutely gets in the way of a faithful proclamation and correct and accurate reading of God's word. He's so distracted and so, so trying to be relevant and weave in this theme from the Wizard of Oz or Wicked or whatever that um, he just falls flat on his face as far as his biblical responsibilities to preach the word. And I don't even recognize the gospel that he preaches. You'll hear something that sounds close to the biblical gospel, but don't worry, he'll steer away from it really quickly. <clears throat> Let's kill the music. So without any further ado, here is uh, the sermon entitled uh, W. Here, here we go.
It's got the theatrical music. It's showing a person with a green hand. There's Dorothy, some ruby red slippers. Uh, I'm sorry, ruby red sneakers. There's the lion's tail courage. And then we got the somebody doing the Tin Man thing. Ah, yes. This it, it's just oozing with relevance. sure the people that were in the audience were just thrilled beyond belief that they were taken in by this multi-sensory thing. There's people walking down the yellow brick road now. Right. Uh, yeah, he's so excited about his, I don't know if you the, have his seen. theatrical trailer. By the way, the even the... the thing holding up his bible looks like it's part of the set and he's got green and yellow brick roadish thing going on yeah i mean what's he dressed like is he dressed like one of the guys from that we represent the lolly no no maybe not quite that the musical wicked or read the book but it is actually the prequel to the wizard of oz and all that you thought you knew in the wizard of oz turns out in wicked to not be true. And so what we're going to do over the next six weeks is we're going to kind of journey down the yellow brick road and look at men and women and how we can uh, come together in relationships. You know, it's a we're going to journey down the yellow brick road to see how men and women come together in relationships. What do I need to church for this for? I mean, the whole idea, you know, guy meets girl, girl and guy fall in love, they get married. That, that happens all the time without church, except for maybe they go to church for the wedding. But Crazy thing. It's an amazing thing when men and women get it right. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at like uh, what they were missing in The Wizard of Oz. For example, the lion was missing what? Courage, and we're going to look at the... Okay, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. I I, I got to tell you, I've never seen Wicked. I, I really don't even know the plot line. Um, but I have seen The Wizard of Oz, and I don't remember it being a romance. Um, do you, Was there a romantic element to the... Uh... Courage it takes for men and women to have healthy relationships. We're going to look at the uh, will or the brain that it takes. That's what the Tin Man was... No, the Scarecrow was missing. The Tin Man was missing what? Missing a heart. And that's what we're going to talk about next week, actually. We're going to talk about how relationships, men and women, need, a, need heart. They need a passion. They need romance. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. It's going to be awesome. So- mm, yeah, that's, yeah. Boy, I'm, that sure is relevant. Um, really? Um, hmm. How much money did it cost to make the stage and the set and all that kind of stuff? How much money do you think it cost to put on this big theatrical-themed thing, hmm? So you want to come next week. But before we get there, we really need to look at, as men and women, how we find who we are as a man and a woman. Because there's not... Okay, I don't need to find myself. I'm right here. Hang on, look. I'm touching... See? I, I... 
there. Yeah, see, I don't need to find myself. I'm not lost by myself. <sighs> Something we can have together if we don't know who we are apart. And so I want us to look not at the lion or not at the tin man, but I want us to look at the, the wicked witch. Because what's interesting about the musical is that the witch is wicked only because she won't confine herself to what the wizard of Oz actually wants. She determines that she's going to defy gravity. She's not going to be constrained. She's going to walk in her uniqueness. And as a result, she is thought of by the people of Oz as, as wicked. While the good witch... Well, the good witch is willing to do whatever Oz, uh, the Wizard of Oz, wants her to do because she's of the belief that if she does what the wizard wants her to do, she'll get what she wants, and if she gets what she wants, she'll ultimately discover happiness. And isn't that what everyone's looking for anyways? What on earth does any of this have to do with the Bible? I'm, I'm a little bit lost here. So... The green wicked witch is wicked because she wants to walk in her uniqueness. Oh, brother. There's a great battle of uh, greenness, you might say, of whether or not we're going to live in our uniqueness, whether or not we're going to... There's a battle of greenness as to whether or not we're going to walk in our uniqueness. (sighs) Notice... He's trying to let the theme drive the sermon. As a result of it, I'm not hearing anything that even remotely sounds biblical. Run after our destiny or we're going to be confined by the society or the world in which we live. Now, let me give you a definition for our teaching today for wickedness, okay? When I talk about being wicked, this is what I'm talking about. So this is a sermon that's going to basically redefine wickedness so that we can pursue wickedness and not feel that it's wicked. So we're going to so wickedness is good in this sermon. It comes to today's teaching. I, if you want to pull out that outline you got when you came in, here's kind of our working definition for wicked to defy the constraints of Oz, to refuse to become a puppet in the hand of the wizard, and instead to embrace God's love and become the masterpiece he has created us to be. So we're not... So we're redefining wicked so that we can be good at being wicked, and wicked means to embrace the masterpiece that you be. Uh-huh. Yeah, it still sounds wicked to me. We're going to be constrained. We're going to defy whatever that gravity is, whatever that is that pulls us down. And instead, we're going to run after who God's made us to be. I think I wrote in your outline, it's being green. To be wicked is to be green. It's to be different. It's rebelling against the world and walking in your, in your uniqueness. This week, as I was thinking of... So, okay, so we're going to walk in our uniqueness. It's rebelling against the world to walk in our uniqueness, and it's being defined as being green. Maybe we should re-entitle this sermon uh, to something like this. It's not that easy being green. Having to spend each day the color of the leaves. When I think it could be nicer being red or yellow or gold or something much more colorful like that. 
It's not that easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. And people tend to pass you over because you're not standing out like flashy sparkles in the water or stars in the sky. You see, I don't know if I want to be green, but Kermit the Frog made it clear that that's, it's not really easy to be green. I mean, doesn't sound very appealing to me at all, so well, we continue. About it, I wrote in my journal, Oz is the place where everyone marches to the wizard's drum, thinking that if they do, it will ultimately lead to happiness. Now, this battle for green is played out all throughout Scripture, but I want us to look specifically today... And really, the battle for green, the way you define it, is has fought all throughout Scripture. Really. Now, again, notice the the theme is driving the sermon, and now we've got to hunt for a passage that somehow can be you know like wedged into this theme, so that ta da, we've got a we we got a biblical text that talks about being authentic to yourself and not conforming. Okay. The New Testament and the Gospel of John. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 4, all right? John chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse, verse number 3. John 4, verse 3. Look what it says. It says, So he, he being Jesus, left Judah and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman who was, and you might underline this because we're going to come back and talk about it in just a few moments. Well, she was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus said, well, if you only knew the gift God has for you, and if you knew who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And it's within the context of that scripture that I really see, think that we see this, this battle for green, whether or not... Really? In that passage of scripture, from that gospel text, you think we're finding a battle for green? Oh boy, can't wait to hear it. You and I are going to be conformed or confined to what society says we should do, or we're going to experience our uniqueness. You might want to jot this down. So the reason why the Gospel of John chapter 4 in this story was written so that we can embrace our uniqueness. Really? Were you wearing x-ray glasses when you read the text so that the green letters, the invisible green translucent letters would pop up at you, the ones you can't see with the naked eye? Oh, boy. Religion doesn't accept green. Religion doesn't accept green. Now, in John chapter 4, and if you look in verse number 8, here's what it says. It says that when she got to the well, Jesus was there alone. Now, why was Jesus there alone? Because he sent the disciples in to get food. 
See, Jesus knew that this woman, well, she had some issues. And Jesus knew that the issues she had, the disciples would have a hard time handling. Because religion has a hard time handling issues. Religion wants us all all to look good, especially on the outside. Religion wants us to all act the same way. When you look in John chapter 4, and look with me in verse number 27, when they get back with the food, look what it says. Jesus is talking to this woman, and it says, just then the disciples came back, and they were what? They were shocked. So the disciples were the religious people. They were the bad guys in this story. Okay. To find him talking to the woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask what they were actually thinking. (laughs) What does he want with her? Or why in the world is he talking to her? They were, they were shocked. They were amazed that Jesus would actually give this woman with issues any time at all. If you go to verse number 31, they try to distract Jesus. They're like, Jesus, aren't you hungry, bro? We went and got some food. We're talking Taco Bell. It's amazing. You need to chow down. And they're trying to distract Jesus, because they had a difficult time with who this woman was. Well, we know religion hasn't changed a whole lot over the years, has it? So his telling of the story from the Gospel of John chapter 4, apparently the disciples of the bad, religious bad guys that are keeping this woman from experiencing and embracing her true authentic self. And that Jesus was there to help her embrace green. Yeah, uh, with this... This is the most miserable reading of this particular gospel text I have ever in my entire life had the unfortunate experience of listening to more than once. Let's, um, let's take a look at the story. Okay, John chapter 4. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, uh, although I lovingly refer to it as the ESV, or the uh, English Sanctified Version. Um, it says this, now, verse 1, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. Fair question. Samaritans and Jews don't talk. They have a big religious dispute that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Um, and, uh, you know, Samaritans were idolaters. And in anyway, there's, they don't really fully embrace Judaism. As a result of it, there's questions and there's conflict. And, and not only that, women don't talk to um, men. Not a, not a good thing to be doing. Anyway, uh, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Provocative here. And notice that Jesus is at this point engaging her in a way that is going to cause her to focus and learn about him. Not herself, 
Jesus. Jesus wants her, her, the Samaritan woman, to know who he is. Okay. So the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. (laughs) The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now she switches. She knows that he's a prophet, and now comes the religious piece. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. There's the rub, right? Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, Well, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus flat out confesses to be the Old Testament Messiah to a Samaritan woman. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. This woman then becomes a herald of the Messiah, of Christ. She goes and tells the town everybody about Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Notice that Troy Gramling said that the disciples were trying to distract Jesus away from talking to the woman by saying, Here, here's some Taco Bell. Uh, But verse 31, by verse 31, the woman had actually went into the town to tell the entire town about Jesus. That's who we're not hearing about in this sermon, by the way, for real. We're not really hearing about Jesus. 
So while she was in town telling everybody about Jesus, the disciples arrive and say, Rabbi, eat, and then Jesus has this little discourse. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, the lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, the one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. Jesus stayed with the Samaritans for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Huh. Interesting, isn't it? When you read this story, it's all about Jesus. And this woman, in her conversation with Jesus, Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah. She believes and she goes and proclaims Jesus. And at the end of this, Jesus stays two days in Samaria. And the Samaritans confess that Jesus is is the Savior of the world, and that's what they believe regarding him. This isn't about being green or authentic or or not giving in to the world or anything of the sort. When you read this passage in context, it's all about Jesus and people being brought to repentance and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins because that's what Savior of the world means. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Savior of the world. Samaritans believed this. That's not what we're going to hear in this uber-relevant sermon that, I mean, even got a full-blown write-up in the Christian Post because of how innovative, how creative, how over-the-top relevant Troy Grambling is. But Troy Grambling's mangling this text He's trying to basically twist and mangle this text and force it to fit into a Wizard of Oz theme, something that it can't do. Not unless you snip out important parts like Jesus. Snip out the important parts of the Savior of the world part, believing in him, and somehow wrestle the text away from it being about Christ and somehow make it about you, which it isn't. We continue. Religion is still really uncomfortable with, with green. It's, it's really uncomfortable with issues. Religion wants to clean you up and then present you or then embrace you. They want you to get the outside looking good. They want you to act a certain way. They want you to do a certain thing. Religion likes it when everybody's Everybody's the same. Everybody looks the same. Everybody thinks the same. Everybody acts the same. Religion doesn't, it doesn't embrace, it doesn't embrace green. I remember when God kind of nudged my heart to, to be vocationally in ministry. And I, I remember the biggest challenge for me, because I was thinking, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a coach and I'm going to be a teacher. And the biggest challenge for me was when God tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I, I, want you to, I want you to go into ministry. I want you to be a pastor. My question to him was, well, do I have to be like them? You know who I mean when I say them, because you know them. 
You, you may have a them in your family or them, them that act on the outside if they have it all together while on the inside they don't. You see, religion has a difficulty with greenness. It has a challenge when you and I are honest about who we are. Now, there's something in all of us that is drawn to religion because we want what religion promises. See, we all want to be happy. We all want to have a sense of peace in our life. We all want to have a certain direction in our lives. And so there's something about religion that draws us to it because religion promises that, doesn't it? Religion promises us peace. Religion promises us joy. Religion promises us freedom. And so we're like, yeah, man, I'm going to be religious because if I'm religious, then I'm going to really be happy. And if I'm religious, then I'll really have joy. If I keep all the rules, I'll really be free. Religion promises that. And so we're drawn to it. And most people at one point in their life or another experiment with it. You know, can it really bring me joy? Can the rules really make me happy? And while religion promises peace and joy and freedom, it doesn't deliver those things at all. Instead, it delivers fear and guilt and bondage. I mean, religious people are afraid. Religious people are afraid that they're not going to live a perfect life. They're afraid that they're going to make a wrong turn, that they're not going to fit in. And so they're like, man, I can't do that because if I do that, if I don't live a perfect life, if I don't come to church, see, religious people are afraid not to come to church because if they don't come to church, then they, well, they might go to hell. And who wants that? Now, there is a tremendous difference between coming to church because if you don't, you're afraid what will happen to you and coming to church because if you do, what you will experience. See, I think it's a great thing for you to come to worship. I think it's a great thing for us to be faithful in our... My question is, what is any of this rambling that you're going on about religion somehow trying to, you know, oppress people have anything to do with the biblical gospel that you've been reading or at least read snippets of uh, from the gospel of John. I mean, this is like a tangent uh, uh, of a tangent of a tangent. I mean, you're beyond lost in the text here. You're not actually doing exegesis. What was the point of reading, reading that gospel text again? Oh yeah, I forgot. It was to create the impression that you're going to actually somehow be able to preach a biblical sermon with all this Wizard of Oz stuff going on in the background. Tendence of worship, but not because I'm afraid you'll go to hell if you don't, but because I know what you'll miss out on or what you'll receive if you do. There's a huge difference in serving God because you're afraid of what will happen to you if you don't and serving God because of what He's already done in your life. There's a tremendous difference between living life scared of the rules and living life enjoying the relationship. See, religion doesn't embrace green. Religion wants us all to look the same and act the same and be the same. And it gets really, really nervous when you're authentic. It gets really, really nervous when you admit that there's something on the inside and it's always wanting to clean up, clean up the outside. Always wanting to make us like the religious. Hmm, weird. Uh, so, what? How are you defining authenticity here? You want? We all need to be authentic. Well, we're all if we're all dead in trespasses and sins, according to the scripture. That's our condition when we're born, when we're conceived. We're born dead in trespasses and sins. We have a very pernicious 
uh, wretched, sinful nature that we've got to deal with on a, on a daily basis. And if I'm authentic to that, then I'm going to run afoul of God and his word. Hmm. People are afraid. They're afraid that they can't live a perfect life. And of course, Jesus himself said that there's none righteous. The word righteous means in right standing with God. Not one, Jesus said. So there's no way for us to live perfect lives. And that's why religious people are so uptight. (laughs) Because they're afraid. They're afraid of what's going to happen to them. And because they can't live a perfect life, they're they're always feeling guilty. Just always walking around with this guilt. And I messed up, I screwed up, I did this. There's just this, this guilt because they can't do what Jesus said they, they couldn't do. So here's how religious people deal with their guilt. They pretend as if they don't. They pretend as if they are perfect because on the outside they look nice. On the outside they wear the right color tie and, and they wear the right size dress and, and, and they, they give the right amount of money. On the outside everything looks Good. Jesus said it like this. He said, you guys talking to religious people, he said, you're like whitewashed tombs. In other words, it's like the tombstone is painted and it looks really, really good. But he said, on the inside, you're dead and you stink. Jesus said, I'm not concerned with how white the tomb is on the outside. I'm concerned with how alive it is on the inside. Jesus said, I didn't come to paint tombs. I came to resurrect bodies. I am about the heart. I am about the inside. Religion doesn't deliver on what it promises. It gives us fear and guilt and bondage. Religious people are in bondage. Religious people are... Now, now I completely agree that if you believe that you are righteous by your own works... Um, if you are self-righteous, like the Pharisees, then yeah, you're in bondage. It's a, it's a form of slavery because that's not what, it's not true religion. That's false religion. But again, what does this have to do with the gospel of John chapter four? Are scared of doing this. And so they walk around completely controlled by the circumstance or the religious people in their lives because religion doesn't embrace green. When you pull back the curtain of religion, you know what you find? You find somebody back there pulling strings that has no power, you know, just a big, maybe a big Bible and a big cross, but in the inability to really bring about change or to bring about hope into your life. And that's why so many people walk away from religion because they've pulled back the curtain and they've seen that there's no power to reconcile their relationship with their spouse or to bring their son or daughter back or to truly have peace or real happiness, not a pretend kind that we sing about, you know, but don't, don't have. Religion doesn't, doesn't embrace green. You know what's funny is not only does religion not embrace green, but the world doesn't accept green as well. Not only does religion not accept green, but the world. See, the world wants us to value all the same thing. It wants us to march to the drum of the wizard. It wants us to live in the right place. It wants us to drive the right car. It wants us to wear the right clothes. It wants us to have the right kind of relationship. It wants us to think a certain way because the world promises that if you and I will constrain ourselves to what the world values, then you will be happy. 
If you live in the right neighborhood, if you drive the right car, if you marry the right person, if you have the right job, if you think the right way, then you really will be happy. You really will have a sense of peace. See, the world operates much in the same way that religion does. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 5, it says this. It says they were from the world and they speak like the world and they are listened to by the world. In other words, if you want to be heard in the world, then you've got to do what the world tells you to do because only those who do what the world tells them to do are actually heard by the world. You've got to think what... Well, isn't that what you're doing, Troy? You're doing what the world has told you to do? We don't want to come to church because church is boring. You've got to entertain us. I mean, seriously, here he's trying to basically create the impression from the sermon that he he doesn't want to obey the world. No, no, no. Yet, yeah, I'm looking at the stage there, um, and it's not it's not anything that the world would be upset about. In fact, this is exactly what the world wants to see and hear. The world tells you to think. You've got to act like the world tells you to act because the world doesn't embrace green. The world doesn't embrace authenticity. The world doesn't embrace your uniqueness or your destiny. It confines. The world doesn't embrace your uniqueness or your destiny. And now we're starting to see what the sermon's really about: embracing your uniqueness and embracing your destiny. Uh, we're 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 preaching to scratch itching ears, not preaching the truth. We're giving the world what they want to hear, while the while trying to create the impression that oh wow yeah the, the world doesn't yeah we yeah the world's bad but he's giving the world exactly what they want. Mind you, it holds you down, it weighs you down. But yet there's something in all of us that's attracted to the world. Why are we attracted to the world? Because we want what the world promises. We want happiness. I mean, that's what all of us are looking for. We want to... You, you've brought the world into the church, and you're sitting here trying to distance yourself from the world. I mean, this is just surreal. Real sense of joy. We want to get up in the morning and be excited about the day, not be worried about everything that's going on around us. And the world says it can do that for us. And so we're attracted to the world because of what the world promises, happiness and love and independence. The world says that if you'll do what I tell you to do, you'll be happy. How can you not be happy living in that house? How can you not be happy with that much money? How can you not have love? The world promises love. It says if you'll do a relationship like I tell you to do a relationship, if you'll do intimacy the way I tell you to do intimacy, if you'll have sex the way I tell you to have sex, if you'll respond in that relationship, you'll be not only happy, you'll have love. This sermon is so convoluted. It, I, I mean, it's, what, what's the center of this thing? You'll have security. You'll have a lasting relationship. And you'll be independent. Nobody's going to tell you what to do as long as you do what I tell you what to do. Right? The world makes great promises. And because it does, all of us at one time or another find ourselves attracted to what the world Promises, You know, the good witch, there's a quote in the musical where uh, she says, I, I wrote it down, being happy is what happens when your dreams come true. That's what the world promises, that when you get everything that you want, that's when you'll actually be happy. And yet when you pull back the curtain, you, you find a Madison Avenue wizard without any power to do what it promises. 
Because when you pull back the curtain and you walk into the lives of the people who are actually living where they're supposed to living, making the money they're supposed to make, thinking the thoughts they're supposed to think, doing the relationships the way they're supposed to do the relationships, and yet they don't have anything the world promises. And instead of the joy and the happiness and the peace that the world promises, the world delivers depression and discouragement, codependency and addiction. You know what's funny is what the world accuses religion of doing is what it does itself. The world accuses religion. It says, don't, don't, don't be religious because religion is fake. Religion doesn't have the power to make you happy. Religion doesn't have the power to bring peace into your life. Religion doesn't have the power to make you free. And what the world accuses religion of is exactly what it does. It promises those very same things only to not be able to deliver them. Because those who are religious don't experience what it promises. And those who are living according to the standards of our culture, of our society, don't experience it as well. So if religion doesn't embrace green or accept green, and if the world doesn't accept green, the last thing I challenge you to write down is that Jesus, on the other hand, embraces green. That's what this Okay, so now finally the good guy. Jesus comes in and what makes him so good? Not that he's the savior of the world. No, no, no. He embraces green. Not sure what that means, but I mean that sounds positive though, doesn't it? Story is all about. This story is about Jesus. And this story is about how Jesus embraces the green of this woman. Look with me in John chapter 4. We're going to look in Uh, Verses 7 and 9. Look at what it uh, says. Starting in verse 7, it says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? He was alone because the disciples had gone to the village to buy some food because they couldn't handle it. And the woman was, what's that next word? She was surprised. What was she surprised about? She was surprised that Jesus would give her his attention. I mean, I'm sure she saw Jesus as she walked up to the well that day, but she never thought that he would speak to her because, well, he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. He was a man and she was a woman. And yet when she gets there, he asks for some water and she is shocked. She is surprised that he would speak to her, that he would give his attention to someone like her. Maybe that's the way you have felt today. I mean, maybe you are surprised by the fact that God has given you in the last few minutes his attention. I mean, you have sensed him. He found your chair. He found the campus that you're attending. And maybe it was in one of the songs that were sung. Maybe it was the fact that somebody shook your hand and you really, really needed that. Maybe it was just a presence of peace that surrounded you. But God found your chair. And no matter what you had done yesterday or last week or what kind of life you have lived, he is giving you with all that's going on in the world. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the all-powerful, all-knowing everywhere at one time, God has given you his attention. Surprising, isn't it? That God would give someone like me his total attention. But he does, and the reason he does is because he embraces green. Look, look at how she, she responds. So the reason why Jesus gives us his attention is because he embraces green. What on earth does that even mean? She's surprised, the Bible says, in verse uh, uh, verse number 8, 
or excuse me, verse number nine, for the Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. And not only am I a Samaritan, but I'm a woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? You know what she says? She says, do you know, you know, do you know me? Jesus, why would you give me your attention? Do you, do you know what I have done? I'm a woman, you're a man, I'm a Jew, you're a Samaritan. You hate me because I'm a Samaritan. You're supposed to hate me because I'm a, I'm a woman. I'm my life. Do you, do you know who I am? Do you, do you know what I've done? I mean, why would you speak to me? Why would you give me any time? Why would you care about me? Why would you talk to me? Why would you reach out to me? And I love what Jesus says. And if you get into verses 17 or 18, he looks at her and he says, uh, yeah, I, I know who you are. You've been married on five different occasions, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. In other words, Jesus... Boy, that completely retells the story. Jesus says, I know who you are. I embrace green. Yeah, the text doesn't read like that, Troy. Like, not at all. Is that the reason why you didn't read the text in context and tell the story with all of its details by reading the biblical gospel? so that you can take these liberties with the text to make it say things it's not saying? Jesus says, I know everything about you. I know your bad decisions. I know when you strayed off the yellow brick road. I know the guilt that you carry. Oh, man. I know when you strayed off the yellow brick road. Again, the theme. Trying to, you know, it's so clever. I mean, wow, I'm going to find a way to mix Christianity and Jesus with the Wizard of Oz, and the theme is getting in the way of a solid, sound, accurate, and faithful proclamation of the text. Because he's mangling the text, shaving corners, clipping this, clipping that, kind of reframing this, telling us different version of that to make it all fit the theme. As a result of it, he's not being faithful to the story at all. Around. I know the pain that's deep within your heart. I know exactly who you are, and that's why I came by this well today. I like what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 when it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, while religion... Dem- okay, now that's the gospel. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I'll give him credit because we don't hear these very often. That's a full-blown gospel nugget. <laughs> But as quickly as that thing came in, it's going to go out that fast, too. And then we're, it's going to get replaced with something very different. So here we got God showed his great love for us, sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, right? Now, where does this go from here? that you clean yourself up before you can be embraced. God says, I'm going to embrace you just as you are. See, God knows who you are. He knows what you did last night. He knows how often you did it and who you did it with. He knew what kind of week and month and year and life you have lived. But he doesn't avoid you. Instead, he steps towards you. He gives you, you, me, his attention. Uh, More than that, forgiveness of our sins. That's the whole point of that particular gospel text that you read. I think she felt uncomfortable. I mean, do you, do you know who I am? You, you ever come to church and feel uncomfortable? You ever come to church and... Yeah, could you point where in the text it says that she was feeling uncomfortable? Hmm? Wonder who knows, right? And somebody looks at you and you're like, 
Oh my gosh, they know. <laughs> you start getting that little sweat on your forehead and, oh, how do they know? You kind of look away or you try to move away or you try to sit by yourself. Sometimes I think maybe that's, that's what keeps us away from worshiping together is we're afraid somebody, somebody will know or that somebody will find out what happened or what we did or the way that we've lived our lives. And Jesus says, I know. I know everything about you. And I still went to the cross on your behalf. Jesus says, I didn't show up today so I could point my finger at you and say, oh, oh, I got you. Oh, I saw that. I know what you did last summer. You know, no, no, no. Jesus didn't come today to point his finger at you. Jesus came today and opened up his arms and say, welcome home. I know. Uh, Forgive you. You need to talk about forgiveness here. You're making Jesus basically sound like he just winks his eye at evil. Everything about you. And I still embrace you because Jesus embraces green. Okay, now you're making it sound like Jesus embraces our sin. The the green thing is getting a little convoluted. What does Jesus promise? Well, in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, one of my uh, favorite uh, passages of Scripture, it says this, Jesus speaking, he says, My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Some translations say to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. Jesus promised... Yeah, out of context. Go read that whole passage in context. Jesus, it, yeah, I swear, it's like this is the abundant life heresy, as if somehow the gospel is, oh, I came that you can have an abundant life. When you read it in context, it's, it doesn't mean what he says it's going to mean here. The abundant life is not the happy suburban American uh, middle class life. That's not what he was referring to. This is what you and I are actually looking for. He promises life, and not just life where your heart beats, but life overflowing, life abundantly, life satisfying. Well, does Jesus deliver on what he promises? Well, look what it says in John chapter 4 and verse 10. Does Jesus replied, if you only knew, talking to the woman, the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Verse 14, but those who drink the water I give, well, they'll never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh and bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And then in verse number 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and she ran back to the village. She left her water jar. Now that's important because that water jar represented a whole lot. See, during this time period in history, it was the ladies who would go to the well to get water. They would go to the well and they would bring water back to the home. And so the ladies decided, you know what, if we're going to go to the well, we might as well have a good time. And so they would kind of travel together and they would hang out at the well, kind of like a Starbucks. You know what I'm saying? They said, let's go. And so they would go. The ladies would go either in the morning or in the evening and they would talk and they would hang out. If you read the Old Testament, here's what you're going to find is when guys were looking for Mrs. Wright, you know where they went? They went to the well. They went and hung out at Starbucks to see if they could find that single woman because that's where the ladies gathered. But this lady, she wasn't with anyone else. And the reason she wasn't with anyone else is because she went in the middle of the day. 
The ladies normally went in the morning or they went at night because it was cool. But she goes in the middle of the day. Therefore, there were no ladies who wanted to go with her, but there was no one she wanted to go with either because she, she just felt, she felt alone. She, she, uh, I think she felt more than alone. Uh, she had five ex-husbands and she was shacking up with the current guy she was with. It's a little bit more than loneliness going on here. felt with, withdrawn. She felt discouraged. She felt unworthy. She felt like a failure. She felt unhappy. Felt like a sinner. Yeah, that would be the correct term, the, the missing term here. And the Bible says that that day when she carried that jar to the well all by herself to fill it up, that when she came into contact with Jesus, she experienced what Jesus had to give and she left. She left with what, without what she brought. She left without her water jar. In other words, what God is trying to remind all of us today is that what God says he's going to do in our lives, he always does. God always keeps his his promises. What God promises he will do, he delivers on. He delivered into the life of this lady. And you can tell that because she left her water jar behind. One who knew no one, who was afraid of one, carrying guilt and worry and fear and unhappiness. She leaves the well. And what does she do? She goes and talks to people. She does the very thing she was afraid of. Why? Because something had changed inside of her. And that's what happens. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. That's what happens when you're embraced by the one who loves you as you are, who doesn't say, clean yourself up and then come to me, but says, if you're going to talk about that, why don't you talk about the one who bled and died for our sins? Talk about Christ's satisfaction, uh, vicarious satisfaction, his penal substitutionary death on the cross. Talk about the blood, you know, talk about the atonement, talk about the propitiation of God's wrath. All of those details are missing here. They wouldn't really fit very well in the Wizard of Oz story, though, don't you think? Come to me and let me clean you up. Now, in verse 3, it says something interesting. It says that this well was Jacob's well. It was the well that Jacob had given to Joseph. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel like he's going to try to smuggle something in through the well here? It's not only important what Jesus did, but it's important where Jesus did it. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Joseph. Joseph was a kid who had a dream. You know what his dream was? His dream was that he'd be a great leader one day. His dream was that he'd be such a great leader. You know, you're telling the story as if that was his big ambition in life. You know, like when I was a kid, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. You know, I, I, you know, I had a really large encyclopedia of military aircraft and dreamed of flying the F-18 Hornet. Um, and, and then the Navy wanted me to be a nuclear engineer on a submarine. Um, yeah, just, we were kind of at odds with each other as far as my career path. Uh, but when I was a kid, I dreamed of being a fighter pilot. Um, hmm. You're making it sound like Jesus, uh, not Jesus, Joseph, you know, when he was a kid was just going, oh, I really am dreaming about being a great leader someday. That's not what happened. Uh, Joseph actually was given a dream. It was a prophetic dream given to him by God himself. It's not like Joseph, you know, aspired to be a great leader. That's what God prophetically told him would happen. Big difference. That all of his brothers would bow down before him. He had 11 of them. 
He was so pumped about this dream, he told his brothers, hey guys, guess what? I'm going to be a great leader. I'm going to be such a good leader that one day you're all going to bow before me. Now, needless to say, they weren't near as excited about it as he was. And so they sold him into slavery. And he, he ends up, and if you read the story, it's kind of an up and down life. Things go well, and then they go bad, and then they go well, and then they go bad, and then they go worse. Until, until this Hebrew boy becomes second in command of all of Egypt. Egypt was the superpower of the day. It was the most powerful nation on planet Earth. And here is this Joseph who is now second in command. When a drought or a famine enters the land, guess what happens? His brothers end up before him, not knowing it's Joseph, on their knees. What God said would happen in the life of Joseph is exactly what happened. And Joseph asked his brothers, he said, when I die, I want you to take my bones back home with you. See, it was Joseph's bones that were buried at this well. It was the well that Jacob, his father, had given to Joseph. And it was the well where Joseph's bones were buried. And I think that's really, really important because I think God's trying to teach us something. He's trying to remind us that just because today it doesn't feel like you're where you dreamed of being. Mm -hmm. I told you he was trying to smuggle something in through that well. Yeah, there it is. He just tried to smuggle in. If you're not where you're dreamed of being, yeah, there we go. Here comes the false gospel part. Uh, now we're completely off the rails. Yeah, he was he's smuggling in contraband via the well. Doesn't mean you can't still live your dream. No matter how far you've wandered off the yellow brick road, you're not too far away that God can't bring you back to what he created you to be. What he did in the life of this woman, what he's telling us through the life of Joseph, he wants you and I to embrace today. There's no decision you've made. There's no place you've gone. There's no thing you've done that can keep you from God's destiny for your life. As long mm-hmm. <clears throat> now all of a sudden, it's God's destiny for your life. Boy, I, this is a major case of eisegesis. He's eisegeting in some weird things into this biblical text. But then again, he had to in order to, you know, at least to kind of stretch the truth beyond recognition so that he can smuggle in, uh, well, this whole uh, Wizard of Oz wicked theme. As long as your heart beats and your lungs take in air, there is still hope for you to live your destiny. That's what he's saying. No, he's not. That's nowhere in the text. This is where Joseph was born. And he looks at that woman and he says, you know what? Just like at times, Joseph didn't feel like he would ever accomplish the dream. And just like there have been times in your life. Uh, now he's uh, inserting words into Jesus's mouth. This is blasphemy. Where you felt that what you have dreamed in your heart is so far away. How could someone like you ever, ever do that? So much time has been wasted. You're so far. How, how could it ever happen? Because Jesus always keeps his promises. He never puts a dream in the heart of someone that he can't accomplish. Mm, okay, got a verse for that. Jesus never puts a dream inside of someone's heart that he can't accomplish. See, that's what the gospel is. God wants you to fulfill your God-given destiny. 
that big dream that he's planted in your heart, he's going to see it to fruition. That's what this story is about here in John chapter 4. It's not about Jesus being the Savior of the world and the Samaritans coming to believe that. No, it's about them discovering their God-sized destiny. <clears throat> now, if you go back, well, let's just read it. I, I, I want you to see it. Look with me in uh, verse number 4. Because my question to you is, are you willing to be called wicked by religion in the world? Not wicked as in evil, but wicked as in our definition. Are you allowing... Yeah, this new... Uh, yeah, wicked. Yeah, uh-huh. ...the religious people in this world to look at you and say, you're, you're wicked. Uh, you're defined... Cue sappy music themed to uh, The Wizard of Oz and Wicked. Gravity, you're, you're going to live your uniqueness. Are you willing to allow the world? Are you willing to live your uniqueness? I mean, we should have an altar call and call people down quick so that they can live their uniqueness. Whatever. To define you as wicked, someone who's not going to be controlled by our society. Because in John chapter 4, Jesus said he had to go through Samaria on his way there. He had to go through Samaria. Now, that's just not true. Most Jews didn't go through Samaria, and the reason that they didn't is because the Jews and the Samaritans during this period, they just didn't get along. And the reason they didn't get along is because when they came into the land as 12 tribes, they had great blessing. Solomon was their king, and the Bible says they had all kinds of wealth, but after... <laughs> okay, so when they came into the land, Solomon was their king. Don't recall that in the book of Joshua, but um, what, do, what, yeah, what do I know? After Solomon, the kingdom was divided. Ten tribes to the north and two to the south. The ten to the north were known as Israel and Judah, Judah to the south. Well, the ten to the north, they were taken by the Assyrians and all kinds of intermarriage happened. And so the, the tribes to the, the south, you know, they pushed back on that and they actually would partner. Yeah, they pushed back on that. Yeah. Does it sound like he doesn't know what he's talking about or that he's winging it? With different nations in order to attack one another. They both built separate temples. They just didn't get along. They didn't like one another. And, and so there's no way in the world that a Jewish person would go through Samaria. Instead, they would cross over the Jordan River and go completely on the other side. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to do what others are unwilling to do. I'm That's right. He's willing to do it so that this woman can find her dream God-sized destiny going to do what most don't do. See, I must go through Samaria. And the reason I have to go through Samaria is because I have an appointment. See, there's a woman there who has given up on her dream. No. Oh, man. That's just terrible. Uh, there's a woman in Samaria who's given up on her dream. Maybe you should have sent Santa Claus. I mean, you know, he, he, he wants you to have your dreams for... There's a woman there that has strayed from the yellow brick road. She feels like a failure. She feels like it's too late for her and that she'll never experience peace and joy. But see, I Oh, it's too late for her and she'll never experience peace and joy. Oh, you've got to rescue her, Jesus. You are the savior of the world. You've got to save her from these feelings. You've got to teach her again, Lord, to follow the yellow brick road. 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 
Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. Jesus is there to put her back on the yellow brick road just the way the munchkins had put Dorothy on it. There was the Wizard of Oz is one because, 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 because. Because of the wonderful things he does. See, Jesus is there to help put the Samaritan woman back on the yellow brick road so that she can find her dream destiny and not abandon her God-sized dreams. Oh, boy. I got to go through Samaria because I got to let her know that I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that her dream can still be lived. Her. Oh, yeah. I don't recall anything in the text about her dream still being lived life can still have meaning she can still make a difference in this world and you know what yeah, what was the difference that she made exactly um the only difference that i really see that she made in the world is oh yeah she told everyone about jesus she still gets to tell everyone about jesus because john john recorded her story do you want if you were to meet her today by the way you're gonna meet her in heaven um, she would not be pointing you to her dreams. She'd be pointing you to Christ. God says, I don't know how you ended up here today. I don't know whether somebody invited you, you happened to read something or see something, or maybe you're just a big Joel Osteen fan and you wanted to get a free book. I, I, I don't know how you ended up here, but what I do know is that God says, you know what? I got to go by potential church today. And the reason I have to go by potential church today... See, God's going to come by potential church. They're not really yet a, a church. They're just a church in potential. But God's going to come by anyway. It's because I have an appointment. And there's somebody there that's given up on their dream. Gasp. No. Really? Oh, quick. Send in the geek squad or something. Somebody's given up on their dream. By the way, Jesus is the one who is given the message that the church is supposed to proclaim. Uh, yeah, you can find it in Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus says this. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Nowhere do I see Jesus saying that the, the message of the church is that he came to help you not give up on your dreams. This is a false gospel that points us away from the biblical gospel. Do you think that the anybody there at the, this Wizard of Oz sermon, this wicked sermon, um, has been brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins? Not on your life. They've given up on what I knit into them in their mother's womb. They think that they have strayed too far from the yellow brick road. They think that they've made just too many bad decisions. They think that they'll never find repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus said. Why aren't you doing that? 
peace and joy and lasting happiness. And I got to go by there because I want them to know that I am still on the throne, that I am still the King of Kings, and I am still the Lord of Lords. And they have not gone too far. They have not strayed too far. They can still, you, you can still live your destiny. Yeah, I don't recall anything in the New Testament about uh, Jesus telling people that they can still live their destiny. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is probably one of the most narcissistic, me-centered, theatrical um, self-help seminars performed in a, well, it's not really a church yet, in a church in Potentia um, than I've ever heard. You can still accomplish the dream that God has put in your heart. You can still have that kind of marriage. You can still be that kind of parent. You can still lead that kind of... There is hope for you, after all. But what about when you die? What happens then? Hmm? Business. You you do know that we all die, right, Troy? I got to go by. And he found your chair. Oh, wow. Thank you. I'm so glad that Jesus found my chair to help me live my destiny. And you're surprised that he would care that much about you. You know, I'm surprised that he doesn't throw thunderbolts at you and judge you with, like, a horrible, horrible judgment. With all that's going on in the world, all the people that are even at this campus at this moment, God found you. But you- sounds so loving, sounds so squishy. It's a hallmark moment, uh, but it's not the biblical gospel. He's lying to you. You have to, you have to embrace him. See, religion says, clean up, and then, and then we'll embrace you. Get everything right in your life. Get those bad habits out of the way. Kill all those addictions. Apologize to all those. Get everything right and then come. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You just come. Yeah, just, just come. I'll give you your destiny. Don't worry. I'm like a senile old. I'm a senile old grandpa who, I mean, after all, he's thousands of years old. At least, you know, his body is. And I'm sure he's lost his part of his mind by now. And he, he walks around with a with an old cardigan sweater and... And some really comfortable pants, and he's got he's got butterscotch in his pants, and he just wants to give you a hug and a big butterscotch, and tell you everything's gonna go be okay, and don't worry, he'll help you achieve your density. He says even better than that, I've come to you. All you have to do is trust me. Romans says, trust him for what? That whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be salvaged. Saved. It says saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why are you changing that text? Because he's not teaching the biblical gospel. This is something different. It's a gift, really. It's a gift that we don't receive with our hands, but it's a gift that we receive with our heart. Salvation simply means... Salvation from what? What do I need to be saved from, sir? means trusting Christ. It, it means to sit down and... Trusting him for what? That I'll live my density? Christ. Just totally trusting him. Oh, no, it's not getting to heaven. It has nothing to do with what you've done. It's got everything to do with what he's already did. And what, what has he did? What's he done? Feet up in the air, completely trusting in God for your joy, for your happiness, for your peace, for your future. Huh, what about for the forgiveness of my sins? 
Because love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, those are the fruits of the Holy Spirit wrought in me through the work of the Holy Spirit as he sanctifies me. That's not the object of my salvation or even the goal. It's one of the fruits of it. Weird. You just got to sit down in him. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray for you again. Now, how much do you want to bet if anyone raises their hand that he's going to count that as a salvation and tweet at tweet it out? Because I've been praying for you the last several weeks as we've getting ready for this series. See, I didn't know you would be here, but I knew your heart would be here. I, I knew there'd be some folks here who have given up on themselves, given up on their future, and given up on their marriages. Oh, no, there's people who've given up on themselves. <gasps> what do we do? So I've been praying that you would have enough courage to just sit in Christ. No, not, not, the, not to trust me. Not, not to yeah, trust. That's a good idea. Don't trust him. He, is, he ain't telling you the truth. Potential church. We don't have that power but to trust Jesus. For what? What am I trusting him for again? And so I, I, I'm going to pray for us. And at the end of that prayer, if you're here and you say, you know what, Trey, it's, it's time I, I, I quit trying to be embraced by religion and quit trying to be embraced by the world, and I, I, I just embrace Christ. Embrace him so that I can find my density. I'm going to pray for us, and at the end of this prayer, we're going to sing one last song, and I'm going to ask you whether you're on the floor or you're way up there in the balcony to just meet me here at the front. I'm not going to do anything weird or crazy. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And he'll count that as a salvation, even though, yeah, so, yeah, they'll say, we had 300 people at our uh, f- big fall kickoff, you know, because of our wicked sermon series, um, based on the Wizard of Oz, that, that our 300 people uh, were saved as a result of this. That's how many people came up to the front and prayed the prayer with me. Do you really think that anybody was saved as a result of this sermon? I didn't hear the gospel. I didn't hear the law preached to destroy you and bring you to your knees and show you your need for a savior. I didn't hear Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins. I heard Jesus who wants to come give you a hug and help you not give up on your density. Yet he'll count every single person who comes down there as somebody who's been saved. Sounds like a scam to me. It's a real simple prayer, but it's difficult to pray because it's a prayer of surrenderance. It's sitting down in Christ. So would you bow your head? Nope. You don't get to pray. Not on this program, mister. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry that I understand that the potential church isn't really a church yet. They're just a church in potentia. Um, unfortunately, this will set them back. It's going to be a while before I even consider um, you know, giving them the graduation, uh, filling out the graduation paperwork so they can actually graduate to being a real church. Um, yeah, they'll have to get rid of this uh, this guy as their pastor and actually replace him with somebody who actually opens up the biblical text and preaches it and uh, cuts out all of the theatrical nonsense. So uh, there you go. That was the sermon. And uh, as promised, the theme got in the way of solid biblical preaching. Sermon you heard about, you know, Christ wanting to come along and embrace you, embrace the green in you so that you can not give up on your destiny. Um, That ain't the biblical gospel. In fact, if that's what you believe about Jesus, you don't believe in the biblical Jesus. You actually believe in a false Jesus. And uh, chances are you're really not actually saved and you're probably going to hell. 
In other words, you need to repent of that false Jesus, this false doctrine, this false gospel, and trust in Christ, the biblical Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. Because Jesus didn't come to help you find your big density or your purpose or anything like that. He came to call sinners to repentance. He came to seek and save the lost. And if you're not a sinner, Jesus hasn't got nothing to offer you. Uh, yeah, if, if the only thing you are is a good person who's who's potentially given up on their dreams, um, I'm sorry, you can walk away. You don't need to come to church. The biblical Jesus has nothing to offer you. That's not what he's there for. Sounds kind of harsh, but it's true. That's what you believe about Jesus. You're believing in an idol. You're believing in an idol created to look just like Jesus, but isn't. That's why he met, he butchered the texts. That's why he retold the story in a way that he can kind of, you know, cut some corners. So he can wedge it into this Wizard of Oz thing. Oh, it was relevant. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they spent a ton of money on that stage. But it was it's all for naught. Because all the marketing dollars, all the hoopla, all the... All the stage work, uh, uh, you know, all the press, the press release that was sent out, it doesn't mean anything. The reason why is because when the people showed up, when the you know the however many people were decided to show up to church for the first time in years as a result of you know being marketed to in this way, they didn't hear the biblical Jesus. They were not confronted with their sins. They were not brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. They were not taught properly to trust in Christ for His mercy and His forgiveness won by him on the cross by his shed blood and sufferings for me and for you. As a result of it, uh, they they might have been entertained. It might have been just a great show with a self-help seminar that had something to do with somebody who kind of sort of reflects Jesus, but not really. Uh, But um, uh, if they think that by going down and praying a prayer with Troy that day resulted in them becoming Christians, they've been deceived. They haven't been brought to Christ. They've been brought to a false Jesus, masquerading as the real one. And they're still in the kingdom of darkness. They're still in their sins. And they're still headed to hell. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons Click on one of them and uh, support this important radio outreach. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. You can email me your feedback. Email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.